everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is book club day. We read The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. And this was, I think it was both of our favorite books of 2021 so far. Or at least one of them. One of them. I don't know. What's your favorite book of 2021? I don't know. This is this is it for me. I wasn't I prepared to answer that question, but I don't want to just, I don't, I don't want to say definitively this one. We're only but three months in. Today is important for two other reasons, too. What? Today is important because it is the second to last episode that we're recording in person before you move to Charleston. It is. And it's important because it's the first one that you're in charge. Grace needs to learn how to use our tech setup so that she can do it when we're in oh Charleston. God. So if the audio is really bad, it's my fault. So if this episode never, never goes live, it's because something happened. We've been recording for 59 seconds, and I think I'm doing a great job. Becca, what's your high this week? Besides me leaving. That's not my high. That's my low. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so my high is that we we finished recording season three of rom-com pods we ooh, if we add it all together i want to say it was probably around 40 hours so we've been hard at work the past few weeks and not that in past seasons we felt bad about how it sounds but like i just feel extra good about how everything sounded um i'm proud that we made it i don't know i feel i just have all sorts of feelings it's like it's kind of like summer camp did you ever I go to camp? Like, I feel like I did go to camp. I went to running camp. Um, and I feel like I understand this feeling because I've been around like movie sets and stuff and I've seen the cast get really close and that whole kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it was only eight days, but it's like you hang out with these people every day. Intense for, bonding. For eight days. It's like really intense. You're like on Zoom for hours a day and then it's over and you're like, you know, you're like making this weird thing. You're in your own world and you have your own jokes about stuff. So I'm, it's, I'm like really pathetically sad that it's over well maybe you can bring them all back for for another season maybe i mean we haven't brought characters back yet maybe you need to start doing that i don't know what would happen i don't know how to write that and then the other thing is that we've been getting so many compliments from both the actors and then like their managers and agents about how much well first of all a bunch of the actors had said how much they loved the script and also Somebody like complimented us on being directors, which is something we've totally made up. We have no training. We don't know what we're doing. And so to hear somebody say that they think you're doing a good job was just so meaningful. On this job that you taught yourself how to do. Right. And then hearing their managers and agents say that they had, they really enjoyed working on the project and that it was a good experience for everyone just makes me feel so happy and proud. I love that. I'm so so proud of you. I just feel so mushy right now. That's. That's a good feeling. That's the best word I can come up with to describe it. Yeah. Um, And I'm so excited for it to go live. Yeah. I think it's going to go live the first Monday in June. So I think it's June 7th, I think is the first Monday. Okay. I can't wait till you can share some of the big news about it because I feel like there's just like you guys are so big time. Oh, my God. I have a story for you for off the air about some hilarious thing that happened. I can't wait. Um, What's your high? My high is that this is my this is my last weekend in New York, which is more of a low, but I'm just excited for what is ahead with this weekend. So I have a friend visiting and um, going to dinner with family tonight, then going to dinner with you and Alex and John um, uh, tomorrow night. And wait, who's the sixth person? The sixth person? Yeah, Simon. Oh, Simon's coming. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just 
Alex said, I'm not on these texts. I know. Alex asked, she was like, it was five. And she was like, can you make it six? And I was like, who's the sixth person? And, she, and yeah, Simon's been invited. And she never answered <laughs> me. And so I was just like, yeah. So we're all going to dinner. Are we going to Lola? We're not. Oh, okay. Do, am I allowed to know where we're going? I don't know if you're allowed. So I'm just not going to okay, tell you tell in case it's a surprise. Okay, cool. So anyways, I have all these fun plans. It's my last weekend here. Um, I'm really sad to leave. I'm really excited for what's ahead. It's like a lot of weird emotions. And I don't know if I'm fully processing it. I feel like I've just I'm not been... fully processing it. You no. leave in – today's Friday. You leave Wednesday. I leave Thursday. A, oh, you leave Thursday. I pack Wednesday and then I'm staying in an Airbnb and then flying out Thursday. I have in no way processed it. It's so weird. I don't feel like this is – I feel like I'm going on a long vacation. I was just going to say I don't even feel like I'll process it on Thursday. I feel like I'll process it in a few weeks. Yeah. When you don't come back from vacation. I know. When you come and visit me. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And we hang out at my pool. Oh, my God. That sounds so nice. I can't wait. What about Lowe's? To quote John Mayer, <laughs> my body is not a wonderland. What have you done to it? <laughs> I just – I haven't exercised it. Oh, I haven't exercised in so I've been eating so, so much junk food. I will say at least my sleep has been good. But in order to get this done, I have just let every – personal hygiene collapse around me it happens you've been working 40 hours a week on top of our podcast on top of your day job right um so you have a lot going on and i would like to say that i have a plan to fix it but the truth is i don't so here we are you can always pick it back up i've told myself i'm gonna start exercising once i move um i'm gonna have a gym in my building so that'll help i feel like as a shorter term step i i need to eat a vegetable today that's a good one just have – you know what you should make is that um, the Julia Tertian kale, the white pizza kale. I don't see myself cooking myself a skillet full of kale. Anything today. Okay. I, I need to procure a vegetable from outside my own kitchen. Okay. You can do that. I feel yeah. good about that for you. Me too. Yeah. We're going to get some vegetables delivered. I've had no vegetables today. Me either. Yeah. What's your low? Uh, I'm probably feeling like also just I haven't exercised in a bit. And um, the moving stuff, like – I have not done enough stuff, and I, I know it'll all get done you're, before I leave. you're having the movers pack you, right? Yeah, yeah. So what do you need to do in advance of them coming? Just all the weird setup stuff, like setting up my gas and my electric and my water and canceling my internet here. Just like all these, like, I just have a list. Yeah. And I've been chipping away at it. I see you also have three bags of, of trash over there. Clothes that I'm selling. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Everything's just kind of all over the place. I don't feel bad. I just am like... Is this going to – am I going to pull this off? You don't seem that stressed, honestly. I'm not. You seem <laughs> which, very chill about which this. Which makes me nervous. I feel like I should be less chill. Yeah, is it like all going to be yeah. condensed into is three Wednesday days be the worst starting day on life? Monday? Yeah, I think it might be. Ooh. <laughs> Stay tuned, friends. You'll you'll have to wait and see. We're, we're recording again on Monday, so we'll find out yeah. in real time. Yeah, you will. Wait, should we get into the book? Yes, we should. But first, we have a little bit of a trigger warning. So this book – deals with suicide in the very beginning of the book. Um, our plot summary will touch on this, but our conversation is really geared around the idea of regret. Yes. And if you or someone you know is dealing with suicidal thoughts, help is available. You can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And we'll also put that number in the show notes if you didn't catch that. Yes. So let's do a quick plot summary to catch people up. And then let's talk about this book. I love this book. So 
The book is about Nora Seed, who's a 35-year-old woman living in her hometown of Bedford, England. She's single after calling off her wedding two days before the event. She's just been fired from her job in a music shop where she's been working for 12 years. Her mom has recently died, and she's not speaking with her brother. And she decides to end her life. And when she does, she wakes up in a library staffed by Mrs. Elm, the librarian from her old school. Mrs. Elm explains to her that between life and death is a library, and every book provides a chance to try another life you could have lived and see how that life would have been different if she had made other choices. She can experience any one of these lives, and if she really wants to live one of them hard enough, she can stay there forever. So the first life she chooses is one where she's still together with her ex. They've opened a country pub, and she lasts in that life for less than half an hour, finding that Dan is drinking too much, the pub is in money trouble, and he also recently cheated on her. So next, she decides to live a life where she went with her best friend Izzy to live in Australia, only to find out that Izzy had died a month after they arrived in a car accident. Then she decides to try the life where she never gave up the swim team as a child. She wakes up in a hotel room about to deliver a speech at a conference about inspiring success. On Wikipedia, she looks herself up and finds out that she is an Olympic gold medalist, eventually retiring from swimming and becoming a professional sports commentator. In this life, her dad is still alive. He had died of a heart attack as a child in her root life, and then her brother is her business manager. Despite the outward trappings of success in this life, Nora gets the sense that she's incredibly lonely in this life. So after this, she goes to live a life where she's a glaciologist. That is a word I've only seen written and never said out loud. I'm so glad you got that word. Don't know if I did that right. So she wakes up on a boat in Svalbard. This, This paragraph is not nice. Uh, which is an archipelago of islands off of Norway, Sweden, somewhere Nordic. And while she's there, she goes on an expedition where she is the spotter, which means she's assigned to watch out for polar bears while the rest of the team gathers samples. So after hours, she comes face to face with a polar bear and faced with death, she realizes that she didn't actually want to die. So the bear eventually goes away. And that night she meets Hugo, who's another person aboard the ship, and he confronts her about being different than yesterday. And he tells her that he's like her. He has also tried many lives. So for Hugo, it's a video store and not a library, and it's manned by his uncle Philippe, who died many years ago and never worked in a video store. He's tried nearly 300 lives. This is the longest he's been in one, five days. In his travels, he's met the other people like them, um, and he calls them sliders. Most of them are in their 30s, 40s, or 50s, all with deep regrets about their lives. Hugo is happy in his current state, chasing his curiosity about other lives. He describes himself as happily in limbo. Um, So then him and Nora have unsatisfactory sex, and um, she slips out of this life and into the library. So next, she tries a life where she stayed in her band, the Labyrinths, instead of quitting like she did in her root life. So she comes into this life mid-concert at an arena in Brazil, and she and her band are internationally famous. And again, it's not all it's cracked up to be. So in this life, she finds out that her brother has overdosed. And on returning to the library, she realizes that every dream she's tried so far has been someone else's dream for her. Swimming for her dad, the band was her brother's dream, the pub was Dan's dream, and Australia was Izzy's dream. So she decides to try a life where she worked at an animal shelter instead of a music store. This life is simple, and she can tell by the way that people treat her that she is a kind person. She's dating a coworker who's a, a sweet but slightly bland guy named Dylan, 
and she can't quite muster any excitement for this life, even if it seems like alternate Nora was quite happy with it. Then she tries a life where she runs a vineyard. This kicks off a spree of different lives, none of them being a fit. So Nora begins to feel lost in that she's tried all there is to try. And so finally, she decides to try a life where she said yes to a coffee date with a kind man that she'd refused in her root life because she was still together with her ex. So in this life, her and Ash are married and have a child. And she settles into this life, staying for weeks, and wonders if this is going to be the one that sticks. But she somewhat reluctantly ends up back in the library. And this time, the library is breaking down. So she's trying to escape the library, which is now on fire. And she finally writes, I am alive, down into a book, which wakes her into her root life. She wakes up in her root life, and she staggers into her neighbors and asks him to call an ambulance. Her brother comes to her at the hospital, and they make up. On the drive, her brother tells him about a man that he met at the gym, but he's not sure if he's even gay. Nora urges him to ask him out. Um... He's been married to him in multiple of the parallel lives. The book ends with Nora going to visit the real Mrs. Elm, who's in a care home. Mrs. Elm is pleased to see her. She's been lonely with no one to play chess with, and Nora offers to come and visit every day. So let's take a really quick ad break before we get into discussion about this book. And today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers professional therapy online via chat, video, and phone so you can talk to a licensed counselor from the comfort of your couch. Just speaking for myself, this has been a hard year mental health-wise. There are just so many contributing factors. There's the pandemic, there's quarantine, there was the election, um, and then just add all of the little individual stressors that each of us have on a day-to-day basis. So if you've been thinking about therapy, I think that this is incredible. Um, It can be really overwhelming, though, to choose a therapist. So you've decided you want to try therapy, but how do you find a therapist? How do you know what they specialize in? And what if after all of that work, it turns out you don't like your therapist and it's not a match? I love BetterHelp because they're solving all of these problems. They offer private, affordable online counseling when you need it without ever having to leave your couch. They have counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, and anxiety to relationships, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. You just go to their site and you fill out a simple online questionnaire that will assess your needs where they ask you about your age, relationship status, past experience with therapy, and what you're looking to address, and then they match you with your own licensed professional therapist. So you can start talking to your therapist within under 24 hours. You can message them anytime and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. Best of all, it is more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. And they're committed to facilitating really great matches. So if your first counselor is not a good fit, they make it really easy and free to change counselors. And anything you share with them is always confidential. So we want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash badonpaper. Okay, let's talk about the book. Yeah, so I wanted to talk first about how you heard about this book and what were your initial impressions before you read it. Is this a trick question? No, it's... I, <laughs> you told me about this book. You brought it down to me and told me that I had to stop everything else I was reading and read this book. That is correct. I guess I knew the answer to that. Well, the reason that I put it in the outline is because I... So I'd heard about this book. It came out in August of 2020, and I'd heard about it. 
And I read the copy on the flap or, or whatever, wherever it was, the description. And I remember specifically thinking that I was like, I'm not really interested in this. And then at the end of 2020, um, Goodreads does their Goodreads Choice Awards. And, you know, like millions of people, maybe not millions, thousands of people vote on their favorite book. And this one won in the fiction category. And it won against Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Did you read that? Yes. And I loved it. Okay. I have it somewhere. And I love all of his writing. I, I loved it. And okay. I was – I. It is a slow start, I will say, but um, loved it. Definitely stick with it. Um, but I was so surprised that this other book that I hadn't heard of and had kind of written off one, and it made me really intrigued yeah. to check it out. And so I went into it with no real, I don't know, no real context other than that so many people liked it. And it ended up really surprising me. How did it surprise you? Um, because I knew exactly what was happening because you told me. I don't know. It just, it, I think it surprised me in a couple ways. So first of all, I I tend to have a bias against books where it is by a male author writing a female protagonist. Yeah, I feel like you don't really read books by men. I do once in a while. I mean, I read Anxious People. That's true. Is that the yeah? I don't read a lot of books by men to be honest. Like mostly, I read. Cheesy murders written by women. Yeah, but I specifically don't like when men write no, I women yeah. main characters. And I usually find them a little contrived. I felt that he did a really good job with this. Oh, me too. It, I was like, a man wrote this? Like, he really understands women. Me too. So I went into it first with that bias. And then I also, at the beginning, I wasn't really sure where it's going. And it was like a little bit of a downer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this. Because... You know, I can be – I like a sad book once in a while, but I have to be, like, in a very specific mood. I don't like when a sad book, like, catches me by surprise. Yeah, totally. Um, But, yeah, I I just – I wasn't really sure about this. And I I read it. I started on New Year's Eve, and then I finished on New Year's Day. And I was just really surprised by how lovely it was. And it just, like – it just felt like this, like, perfect little book. Yeah. When I heard about – I was just so satisfied. I was so satisfied. I felt like – I read it in, like, I think a day or two. I, I love this book so much. And I feel like when I heard the premise, like, that it sounded really sad, but I found the book to be really hopeful. I did, too. Yeah. I did, too. Well, yeah. what was your main takeaway from the book? Mine was that, you sh- that you're right where you belong. Um, I feel like so many times it's so easy to look back on your life and be like, well, if I just did this one thing right, like, everything would be different and everything would be better. And this book really shows that that's not the case and that you're right where you need to be and that kind of, like, the universe just works in magical ways. I felt like it was really hopeful and just taught me that – taught me. I mean, I know that regret is futile. You can't do anything to change the past. But in this case, like, Nora – was right where she should be because all those things that she thought would have made her life better if she had just stuck them out, like marrying that guy or sticking with swimming, they wouldn't have made her happy. Yeah. What about you? I don't disagree with your takeaway. I feel like mine was like kind of a slightly different spin on it. So one thing I wrote down was something that Mrs. Elm says in the book, and she says, it's hard to predict what will make us happy. And one thing that I think was so much easier to see through this character and and through her experiences were that it's so easy to regret any of 
these like big choices that you make, but any major path that you chose differently would have its own problems. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just that it was going to be magical and uncomplicated. Like for instance, when she was an Olympic swimmer that came with its own challenges. And I feel like there's this tendency to glorify, you know, if you feel like you made a bad choice, how idyllic the alternative would have been. And it's like, no, that would have had its own set of problems and challenges. And it might've ended up just as it, you might've, it might've ended up worse. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that's really hard for me to remember in my own life sometimes versus seeing it with a character. You're like, Oh, obviously. Yeah. And then I also really loved, um, that Mrs. Elm kept saying another one of her mottos was never and never underestimate the big impact of small things. Yes. Where it ended up not being the big things that, made Nora happy or, or changed the course of her life because those all had their own other major problems. It was the little things. Yeah. I liked that too. And I really liked that. Like thinking about, you know, those are the things that send things off in a different direction rather than those big life changing moments. Yeah. It made me think of like the notion we've talked about this a lot throughout the pandemic is like micro joys and these little things that like bring you joy. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I've gotten so in tune with like what little thing is going to like make my day better or make me happier. Yeah. Well, I was talking to a friend last weekend and she was saying, we were talking about dating and she was saying, she was talking about regrets and that she hadn't placed a huge emphasis on dating in the past. And she finally felt like she was ready in going into 2020 and then the pandemic happened and she was like, I really feel like I have wasted a year of my life. And and she was talking about also how she's freezing her eggs and, and she was like almost saying how she felt silly. And I was like, well, you know, like who's to say that you, you wouldn't have wasted your life in a different way if not for the pandemic like you could have been in the wrong relationship or you could have gone on really 20 dates. dates that were all terrible and yeah. you know didn't pan out in any way shape or form where it's not to say that the alternative was necessarily finding the right person and falling in love and that's what you missed out on yeah so i don't know it just feels it just feels so this book just feels so applicable this book is a warm hug i love this book it truly is so i kind of thought the best way to talk about it would be to kind of talk about the different lives that she chooses and, and kind of what we took away from it and and what we thought about them. Yes. How does that sound? I thought that I think this is the best way to tackle the book. So the first life is where she's married to Dan, who was her um, – she was engaged to him. It was like her long-term boyfriend, fiancé, um, and running a country pub. Uh, so the first thing I have to say is I – and I truly didn't get over this both when I read the book or when I reread the book – the idea of just popping into a life mid-stream. And oh some God. of them are weird, weirder than others. This one was weird for me. And the other one that was weird for me was when she was a swimmer and she was like popping in and had to give that speech. Oh, I mean, that was weird. But in the Australia life, she wakes up in a pool. Can you imagine? Oh, my God, yes. Just like coming to underwater? Yeah. You're like <sighs> choking. Oh, my gosh. How terrifying would that be? Yeah. There was definitely some anxiety, some secondhand anxiety in this book for me in her having to come into these lives and piece together who she was and what she was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I I just thought that was a really interesting, like, quirk or factor of this book that I loved mm-hmm. reading and thinking about. But part about this specific life with Dan that just, oh, my God, it just... It was such a good reminder. It really hit me where I feel like 
with past relationships, it's really easy to paint over the small annoying things about somebody or about your relationship yes. and only focus on the big things. Yeah, or the good things and just like think only about like, oh, it could have worked out because like we are so great together because you're just not thinking about all the bad stuff. Yeah, and I – I. It was so well told in this when she goes into that life and then she finds that, you know, it's the little things about Dan that are annoying. Like he gets in bed and he puts on a podcast and she's like, oh, I forgot he did that. Yeah. And she's so annoyed. Well, it's also the bigger things. Like it turns out he's like drinking way too much and cheating on her. Yeah. But I, you know, she couldn't have predicted the cheating thing. That was like kind of just a a factor of the parallel lives. Yeah. And she, it sounded like she like, knew or wasn't particularly surprised by the drinking thing. But I just, I really felt for her when she was really jarred by the little things that she'd forgotten about. And she was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of reasons we're not compatible, mm-hmm. not just the. Yeah. And I think that having like that time and distance, you would put this in the outline, but it makes it, I think it has to have been really cathartic to go back into a relationship, have some distance. Oh, totally. And relive it and realize, oh, my God, no, this is totally wrong. Oh, totally. Yeah. It would be so cathartic because, you know. In normal, in norm, a normal situation, you wouldn't just like pop back into the relationship to just be like, just you know, let's just, just live to together for a, for a day, yeah, just to gut check that this is still bad, yeah. Um, but then in her next life, oh my gosh, with the cat, with the cat, and I, we didn't talk about this in the outline, but this was just like a, a really tiny moment where after she, her first choice is okay, I'm going to go back and be with a guy that I broke it off with. And then the next thing that she does is her cat had just died. and um, poor woman. Like, she was really just in it. Yeah. And so she asks to go into a life where he's still alive, and he ends up dying anyway. Yeah, because what happened? He Did he get cancer? I can't remember. He had a heart condition. Heart condition. So in her root life, she discovered him outside, and it was assumed that he had been run over by a car yeah but it turned out he had a heart condition and so she was um she was carrying regret that she was a bad pet owner and like the lesson here was that it would have happened anyway mm-hmm. like it had nothing to do with her yeah um and this was so gutting i know i know i was thinking about Tyrion a lot in that in, in that life and I loved that she asked Mrs. Elm why she didn't just tell her. And Mrs. Elm tells her, sometimes the only way to learn is to live. Yes. I love that quote. I know. Me too. Yeah. What about when she went to Australia? This one really gutted me. Oh, my God. This one really hit me. So she um, she went to Australia to with Izzy, her best friend. They had always dreamed of doing this together. And she finds out she's like this really depressed. Like She's like doing drugs and just like seems like a total – different version of herself and then she finds out Izzy died yeah I this one really hit me because I feel like the lesson in the first one was some of the things that you think might make you happy probably won't like you Mm -hmm. have romanticized this or or whatever and the second lesson was with the cat was that you know some of the things are going to happen anyway and then this one was like hey even if you chose differently there's all these freak things that have are not caused by your actions whatsoever that could also happen um and i guess this one you know because it's so hard to think of 
you think of cause and effect of your own actions. So, you know, you're not like, oh, and then I'm going to go do this differently. And then my best friend who I went to Australia with is going to die. Yeah. Um, oh, that broke my heart. Because, yeah, it's not just your decisions. It's also it's the like universe. really like you have so little control. Like, so you better just like enjoy your life because you're not in charge. Yeah. 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 What about the life where she was a professional swimmer? Okay. So I was so excited for this one. I was like, this is going to be a really good life. Like she wakes up and she's in this fancy hotel room and she's this like retired Olympic athlete. We find out her dad's alive. Then we find out her mother is dead. I thought that was really crushing. And as somebody who's, you know, my, my mom passed away when I was a teenager, like the interplay of her family relationships and who was alive and who was dead in various lives because in in some her brother is dead in others her her mom is dead even though she is dead in her root life but she died a long long ago and then you know in this one her dad is alive and she gets to talk to him again and i was just like (gasps) yeah that i cried at that part um i don't know and then she's close with her brother who's like managing her yeah, I thought – well, first of all, I thought this life was really interesting because she wakes up and has to give a speech, a 40-minute yes. speech to a 1,000 people. Like, what would you give a speech on? I don't know. I would – like, I feel like I would be booed off stage. <laughs> I mean, she's I a good sport. I would just opt out to leave the life immediately. I'd be like, I need to get out of this one. Well, what was interesting in this one is earlier she'd looked up a TED Talk of herself. I think my route would be to, like, have just studied that as hard as possible and try to replicate – the speech that I saw myself give. Yeah. Versus she ends up giving a completely different speech that's kind of inspired by what she's learned mm-hmm. at the Midnight Library so far. Yeah. But oh my God, I can't imagine something more terrifying than like it's like it's like a bad dream where you go to class and you're like not wearing clothes and you have to Yes. I I felt like I was in a stress dream as I yeah. as I listened to or not listened, as I read that chapter. But I this one was so I don't know. I mean, the lessons are so obvious, but they so hit obvious. me so hard where it was like, hey, in this one, she's the most ostensibly su- successful and she's also deeply unhappy in this life. Yes. So like, you know, it's the whole like money, fame, success. Those aren't going to be the things that make you happy either. Yeah. What about when she's a glaciologist? Well, so I thought this one was so interesting because she, first of all, she's in Svalbard, which I had heard about. If you follow on Instagram, Sharon says so. Do you follow her? I can't remember if I still follow her. I might have stopped following. Anyway, she I know who she is, she is though. She was obsessed with Svalbard at one point and and had a either a Q&A or an a live with somebody who was an a glaciologist. Oh god, I really <laughs> Why do we have to say this word? I really don't feel confident in that word. Um so I I first of all I was like a little proud that I'd heard of it before this book. Yeah. Um, but Svalbard sounds so interesting. It sounds so interesting. I wasn't very interested in it. Oh, you weren't. Mm-mm. It's like the northernmost town on earth. So I it's know. like it just seemed really cold and I just was ready for the chapter to be over. Well, I'm sure it is. Look how cute it is. I'm showing Grace a picture of all these like oh. rainbow A-frame houses. Okay, those are really cute. They're really cute. Really cute. Um very Instagrammy. <laughs> But very cold. They're cute, right? I was going to look up Svalbard facts, and I really fell down on the job, so I don't have any Svalbard facts to share with you. But I will say, like, go look at the Wikipedia of Svalbard. Like, it's it just sounds really interesting. Yeah. Also, I think that's where the – oh, I'm going to 
butcher this, but it's like the world seed bank is or something where they have like a sample of every single seed of every like plant or crop oh, in existence. Neat. Yeah, in case in case they go the extinct. apocalypse happens. I don't yeah. know. Okay. But I think that's there. Cool. Where would you, you weren't interested in this? No, I I don't know. I didn't really care. I thought this was cool. I thought this was like the the fantasy fulfillment of being a little kid and like saying, I want to go do this thing. Yeah. Than actually going to do it. Yeah. No, I agree with that. That was cool. Where, what, where would you be today if you had pursued the career you wanted when you were 11 years old? Well, I don't know. So when I was when I was a really little kid, <laughs> my dream was to be a house painter. That's my favorite. <laughs> so I would have been a house painter <laughs> at some point. Um, what do you think you would wear? Then, would you wear overalls? Co- coveralls for coveralls. sure. For yeah. sure. Um, I think you'd look cute in coveralls. Thank you. Maybe for your birthday next year, I'll get you some. I want like I want my name embroidered, like the gas yeah. station kind. Yeah. Um, but then what, by the time I was in middle school, I think I wanted to be a lawyer. So it wouldn't be very interesting. I didn't have like this fantastical thing that I wanted to be. Like, I don't know. Yeah. What did you want to be? Oh, I was all over the place. I wanted to be a painter. I wanted to be a jewelry designer. I wanted to be a psychologist. Then I wanted to be a writer. Then I wanted to be a fashion buyer, which then I did. What was the weirdest thing that you wanted to be? What would be your Svalbard, your glaciologist? I don't think any of mine are really weird. I did want to be a veterinarian at one point until I realized, like, I hate blood. <laughs> Fair. So maybe I'm, a vet. I may- maybe I'm a vet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I also thought this – I don't know how I felt about this section where – so up until this point, we're kind of just living theoretically and not really going deep into the physics or metaphysics of how the multiverse theory or like how this would exist. Yeah. In this one, we meet Hugo, who then explains to us like there was like the Schrodinger's cat thing and it was – very much above my head scientifically, but about how this multiverse theory would work. Reminds- did you like that or did you dislike that? I was like kind of – this chapter was like one of my least favorites. I don't know why. But um, I didn't like the Hugo plot line. And um, what this reminded me of a little was in um, A Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Oh, yes, where you find this this person who's like you. Yeah, you find the person in- who's like you. Oh, yes, it does. Except that was cuter because I didn't really like Hugo's character. Well, do you know, so when Nora sleeps with Hugo, that was the only moment during this book where I was like, yeah, this female character was written by a man. (laughs) Like there was literally no impetus. There was no lead up. And I guess, I mean, I guess if you were just on a road trip through the universe, like what's to stop you from sleeping with anyone? There's no consequences to anything. And maybe you were just like, might as well. Might as well. But there was literally no lead up to it. Like he was just like, let me tell you about the multiverse. And yeah. I'm like you. And then she was like, may as well sleep with him. Yeah. And it wasn't good. And it wasn't good. Yeah. But I feel like if a woman wrote it, there would be a reason. There'd be or a reason. Or she would have thought she would have been attracted to him in some way. Yeah. For her to act on it. But the just literally zero reason yeah. was like, oh, yeah, a man did write this. A man definitely wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> a woman would definitely need a reason. Yeah. Yes. That's really funny. I didn't think about that until you said it. It only struck but me on totally the, second, right. the second time through where I read that. Because I remembered them sleeping together. And in every other instance where she's in a relationship or when she's with somebody, there's a reason. And with this, it was just like, nope. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, what about um, when she stays with the band? Oh, I was waiting for this life. I was yeah, really I was excited too. about this life. I was too. And I really liked it because she'd quit the band right as they got signed. Mm-hmm. And so there was like a, sen- a pos- sense of possibility of what could have been. Yes. And I thought this one was also interesting because there's this – I always like when there's a show within a show. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I know. And there was this actor that she was obsessed with, Ryan – what was his name? What Ryan his Bailey? Name? Ryan something. I, rem- I forget what his name was. And um, she'd she'd seen movie posters for him in other lives or she'd like seen some of his movies. And she had a little crush on him. And in this life, she was dating him. Yes. I loved that. And the – just, you know, the letdown of him being – kind of a mess and like not a great person yeah i i love to see that and i thought it was so i don't know i just loved how that was woven through yeah i don't know i i really liked this life and i think in this life she she kind of has her realization and in a podcast interview i wrote this down she says um it's so easy while trapped in just the one life to imagine that times of sadness or tragedy or failure or fear are a result of that particular experience that it is a byproduct of living a certain way rather than simply living. That sadness is intrinsically part of the fabric of happiness. You can't have one without the other. Of course, they come in different degrees and quantities, but there is no life where you can be in a state of sheer happiness forever. I love that. Me too. I feel like that was another big takeaway from this book yeah. where you know, you can optimize any number of things, but there's no life that is truly Nothing's perfect. without happiness. Yeah. I'm actually kind of surprised now that or I say that. without sadness. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, I was like, without happiness. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> Slip. Um, now that I'm saying this, I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't a life. I mean, I guess maybe the one where she was working at the animal shelter where she like was like, I want to go see what it's like to go be a Buddhist monk or something. Yeah. I felt like the animal shelter was the version of that where she just picks this really simple life and realizes how bored she'd be with that. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, like a a buddhist life or something is meant to optimize happiness yeah yeah and so trying for that the other thing about this life that was terrifying was being on stage and needing to sing songs that you didn't know yes just like the speech terrifying another stress dream it kind of that element of this book kind of feels like the feeling i get when i watch curb your enthusiasm where i'm like oh, i'm so uncomfortable for this person yes. i have nothing to do with this but i'm so uncomfortable yes secondhand anxiety yeah yeah. It also seemed like she was a a bad person in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like she had a bad reputation yeah. based on the way people were reacting to her. Like she wasn't a nice person. Yeah. It was also interesting to see which lives and how she could intuit it, which lives she was kind or unkind in, lonely or yeah. not lonely in, based on only like a slice of the experience. And what a shitty thing to like wake up and realize like in this life you're like a bad person and people just don't like you. Yeah. I also, in this life and in the life in um, where she was a swimmer, it seemed like there were there were incidents that had happened that she never fully unpacked. I was like, Wikipedia yourself, girl. Or she did yeah, Wikipedia herself, she but did. she didn't find out in the swimming life what happened in Portugal. And in this life, there had been like a restraining order. There had been some kind of incident and like mm-hmm. it didn't really – she didn't really find out what had happened to her. I know. I mean, the book would have been like an extra couple hundred pages long if she did. I know, but I wanted to know. Maybe we can ask Matt Haig. <laughs> we're not talking to him. Yeah, so. we're not talking to him. But <laughs> um, 
What about the last life that she lives? Because after the band life, she kind of goes on a spree of different lives that were all like very quick minutes. I like and I love the description of all those lives that she tried. But what about the last life where she's married and she has I liked a child's life? It felt like really good and happy. And I liked Ash too. I felt like they were like, I feel like, you know, in the earlier scenes where he makes an appearance, I felt like he seemed like a good guy and that someone she could be happy with. It's not that I disliked this life, but I was so. I, I was finding myself almost angry because I didn't want her to end up in this life. Yeah. I so deeply didn't want the solution to be oh, so to be married, married and, have, and have children and that that would make you happy. Yes, you're right. You're right. I I guess the romantic in me was like this is a good life. She should she should have this one. And I wanted for her whatever made her happy and and I think this is more me projecting my feelings onto this than anything else, but I was like, "Oh, I really because she stayed in this life for weeks, and I was like, I really don't want it to be the one that sticks, the yeah. one where she's married and has a child. Yeah, yeah. I understand why, you know, it was an interesting one for her to experience, and, you know, from the author's perspective, why this yeah. would be a sticky life, but. Yeah. I'm glad she ended I'm glad that it ended where it did. I also loved in this life that you got to see the small ripples mm-hmm. of her being missing in her root life. So in this life, she goes back to Bedford um, one day and she gets to see, first of all, the man across the street from her who was an elderly man. She used to get his prescriptions for him. And in this life, he's in a care home because there was nobody to get them for him. Yes. And then there was a boy that she taught piano lessons to. And in this life, he's being arrested for stealing. And so I loved in this life that you got to see like the the really small ripple effects of, you know, what would happen if she wasn't in her root life. Yeah. And back to the central theme of the book, like that all of that regret she had, she actually had been doing some really good things and helping people, even though she just didn't even think about it or know it. Yeah. 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 <sighs> How did you feel about the ending? I loved it. How about you? The same. I felt like it was the only ending that could have yeah. Existed for it. Yeah, because if say she had stayed with Ash, which was my favorite of all the, the lives, then it's like the theme is like, oh, but don't worry, like you can get married and like your your life will get fixed. If she'd found any of these lives, no matter what they were, that she wanted to stay in, I, I don't think the book I, I don't think it would have had the same power. Yeah. So I feel like returning to her life was really necessary and deciding she wanted to live yes. and learning those lessons. I did love at the ending, um, the little bit with her brother. I loved that little bit where he'd been kind of recurring throughout the lives. And she was like, did you meet a guy at the gym? And he and her brother was like, um, I did actually. She's yeah. like, ask about a date. Yes. I loved that part. I did too. I thought that was really, really sweet. Yeah. And I thought it was sweet that she, she made her way back to the real Mrs. Elm. Yeah. Cause when I first read it, I was like, Ooh, doesn't, doesn't look good for old Mrs. Elm. Mrs. Elm might be dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did like the ending and I found it really satisfying, even if it was, it was predictable in a lot of ways, but it was like really satisfying. Yeah. It was like, it was like what had to happen. I agree. Well, wait, so I want to talk about regrets in our lives. Do you have one regret, big or small, that if you could undo, you would? It's a small one, but it's just something I always think about. I wish I studied abroad when I was in college. Um, it's like really the only thing I regret. I just um where would you have gone? I probably I mean, knowing me, I probably would have gone to London because of the language or Spain because I spoke like medium Spain Spanish, medium Spain. Um I don't know, I just think not that my life would be so much different or better if I had. I just regret that. You know, I didn't 
leave the country besides like Mexico or Canada until I was 26, I want to say, I think 25 or 26. Um, and that's not, that's not that, um, that's not that old, but I just think I was so scared and I had transferred colleges. So I like had got my friends and like had roommates. I was really excited to live with for my junior year and just was like, no, I don't want to do that. And I just think having that ability to travel without like any real responsibilities for a prolonged period of time is such a great experience. Mm -hmm. What about you? I I can't really, I can't really figure out how this would practically work, but I would have, I wish I would have, either majored in something different in college or realized the career options I had earlier. Yeah. I mean, for me, actually, I wish I went to art school. Like I was always so into art, but I was like, you need to go to business school because you're practical. And then I look at my sister and the way that she's taken a painting career and turned it into this whole business. Yeah. Like we always talk about, or we've talked about many times, like that I just I grew up in a family where your career options were doctor, lawyer, or vague business person. And I truly did not realize that there were other career options until my mid-20s. And, you know, I went to a liberal arts college, so I I certainly knew people who were were majoring in all sorts of other things. Like, a bunch of my friends were communications majors. Like, friend Molly was a history major. So it's not as if I didn't see other people majoring in in these things. But I'm like, oh, wow, I I just – I wish I – would have bypassed the corporate America part of my life altogether and like yeah majored in something different or picked a different first job yeah and then also more recently like I'm like I I wish I would have awoken to my own creativity sooner mm-hmm. and I think that there's I've actually been thinking about this a lot in the past few weeks or months um where you know kind of writing both for rom-com pods writing scripts and then also, at some point this year, hopefully writing a book. Um, But I think a lot about what would have happened if I started sooner. And I think there is this, it started at the right time. Because part of what has enabled us to do this is the fact that with rom-com pod specifically is the fact that we had money. Yeah. You know, like that we could self-fund our own project and we didn't need to wait on anyone's permission and we didn't need to pursue this within the traditional channels, which are so hard to break into. Yeah. And we just gave ourselves permission because we had money. Yeah. And imagine being 25 and trying to do this. Well, right. I mean, if you were 25, you know, you would have had to go live in LA and try to work in a writer's room and like work your way up and work for somebody else versus there is a freeing power that comes with both age, experience, and money where you can just be like, I'm doing this thing. Yeah. So it's not even to say that it would have been to, it would have behooved me to start any earlier. But I have just been thinking about that the last few months of, you know, like, oh, I feel like I came late to my own creativity. Yeah. What about a major, allegedly, we're using quotation marks, wrong turn in your life that you would not undo? And also, like, what did it enable that was good? I have, I I had trouble, I wrote this question, but I had trouble coming up with an answer to this question because I truly don't think that I have any very major regrets I mean, one thing I can think of is like I moved to San Francisco. I only lived there for two years. I worked for a company. It took me a while to find a job. And then when I did work, find a company to work for, the company ended up folding. Mm. Um, And then I ended up leaving San Francisco after about a little less than two years just because I like couldn't find a job and I needed to 
go somewhere else. And it was kind of a fail on all fronts. Yeah. Um, but it's also how I met some of my best friends. Yeah. Um, it's how I met Rachel. It's how I met my friend Lauren. Um, so I met so many good people through it. And also it kind of set me on this path that it was my first job in fashion that then led to my job at Bobble Bar. So like yeah. it led to it completely was the starting point of a lot of good things in my life, even if everything about the experience kind of like fell apart. I also had fun. I don't regret it in any way, but yeah. On paper, it's like, well, that didn't that didn't work out so well. It's so weird how these things like lead you to the right places. Like if you had never worked for Bobble Bar, you and I never would have met. We never would have started this podcast. Like there's yeah. so many things. What's yours? What's your wrong turn that you wouldn't undo? This wasn't a wrong turn. I just remember like when my like last like really long relationship ended thinking I could have worked harder at it. I could have done better. I could have like if I had just been like a better girlfriend or this and that, it wouldn't have ended. But um, in hindsight, like it was like the best thing for me. I think um, when we broke up, I got to really spread my wings and I really like focused on work and focused on my blog and my career and I wouldn't have the life that I have now if I had stayed with that person. You wouldn't have a cat either. He didn't like cats. No, he liked cats. We were going to get two cats together. But he didn't like Persian cats. Oh, he didn't like Persian cats. He thought they are ugly, which, sorry, Tyrion, if you hear this anywhere. Um, But I think he wanted to get tabby cats. Okay. Which I'd be fine with tabby cats. But you would have had a different cat. Yeah, I wouldn't have my beautiful, beautiful, wide-eyed child. Yeah, I I do feel like also – reading this book made me feel just more secure in all of my past life yeah. choices. Not that I've not that I was holding on to any very major regrets, but so you're right where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. It made me it just felt so reassuring. It did. Yeah. It did. It's like a pep talk in a weird way. Yes, absolutely. Like it was it was like a pep talk without giving you a pep talk. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was kind of like a guide you to your own lessons yeah yeah like if it had been a self-help book reading all of the it's lessons like a self-help book learned i feel like i wouldn't have i don't know i would have eye rolled or been like i know that but like seeing somebody else live them just had more impact for me yeah i agree oh i love this book so we'll obviously start a a thread in the facebook group if you have thoughts about this book we would love to hear them but shall we shall we move on to other topics yeah do you have an instagram obsession this week i don't but i see you do i do um mine is an artist and her name is colleen m herman she's actually based in brooklyn she's a new york city painter um my friend alicia who could be another instagram obsession alicia lund i think her instagram is alicia m lund she posted this beautiful painting and i had to i tapped through i was like i need to know more about this artist and her work is just exquisite. It's like bursts of color. It's very abstract. I think you would like it, actually. Hmm. Um, it's beautiful. And I just really like her work. And now I'm sad because I'd love to go see her in a gallery, but I'm definitely not going to have time before I move. Well, you'll come back. I'll come back. I'll have to look her up. Yeah. What about regular obsessions? So mine's a continuation from last week. So I said last week that I discovered this new podcast called Happier in Hollywood. And Grace, I have been on such a binge since last week. I've been listening. The episodes are really short. They're like 30 minutes. Yeah. And I've been going on walks and listening to them. And I just feel, oh, my God, it just feels so relevant to my life because these women are also 
writers. They write on TV and they're way more successful than I am. So, you know, in some ways I'm equating myself to them and it's an insult to them. But um <laughs> but I am just getting so much out of it and I'm enjoying hearing their stories and I just feel um more secure in a lot of ways to hear somebody else have the same doubts and concerns that I have. Yeah. I think one of the challenges is that with what we're doing with rom-com pods is that we don't really have a lot of contemporaries in terms of I don't I don't know many people who are doing this at the same time and so TV writing is like kind of a good proxy but I also don't know any TV writers. So I I just feel really reassured. Um I want to listen. I haven't been this deep in a podcast binge slash like obsession since I discovered the financial confessions. I feel like I'm oh. just like really deep in this. I, I went back that. to the beginning and I downloaded so many episodes. Yeah. Not all of them, but a bunch. Yeah. What's your obsession? I didn't really have one. So this is kind of scraping the bear a little, but I think that if you're in the market for new furniture, you guys might like this. Um, It's called Maiden Home. And um, I didn't know about this company until Aaron Gates, who's helping me design my new apartment. And I got my couch from here and it was a little expensive, but I just think that their pieces are stunning. I wanted something with like rounded edges. Like I, I want to have like a lot of round shapes in my new apartment, just understanding after reading joyful, how our eyes just drawn, drawn to round things and they make us happy as opposed to like more sharp angles. It's just like this, go read joyful. That should be my obsession. It's the best book, but, um, it's, like really, really nice, high quality furniture. Everything is made um, in North Carolina by artisans. And um, like, I just spent, I bought my couch, which is called the Ludlow and it's a sectional, but I just think that everything that they have on their site is stunning. I feel like I should not go to this just for fear for my wallet. I feel like you were talking about maybe getting a new couch. I do kind of want a new couch. Yeah, and I got a sectional. I'm excited, so I'll have like a little captain's chair. So, because I'm only gonna have one couch in the new space. I can't wait. Yeah, it's gonna be great. What about on the reading front? I'm such a bad reader this um, month. I finished Yoke by Mary H. K. Choi. So last time we talked, I was like, I don't know. Did you like this? The last half of the book, I loved. I loved it all the way through. I did not feel annoyed with the younger sister the same way that you did. I was annoyed by her. I really felt for her throughout. Um, I started to like really like her by the end and the sister dynamic. And then I don't like the ending was, oh my God. And the mom, like I I don't want to ruin anything for anyone. So I'm going to stop gushing, but I loved it. And then I started reading another recommendation from you. I'm so behind on books this month. Um, Delicious by Ruth Reichel. Yes. Which I'm loving so far. I'm so glad. You likened it to Devil Wears Prada, but food. Yeah. And I can totally see that. Yes. I also have not been doing great on the reading front. Um, I have been so zonked out at the end of the day that the only thing I can do is watch TV. Yeah. Um, but I read a book called Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Gu. And this had been recommended after our book club from last month, which was If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. And oh. um, we talked on that episode about how we were really into the K-pop angle. And so this book is a YA book about a K-pop star named Lucky. And um, the whole book is told over a weekend. And she's like the number one K-pop star Mm -hmm. and she ends up meeting this guy in Hong Kong while she's on tour and they end up like having this day together and like falling for each other 
under these like weird oh. circumstances of he's normal and she's a K-pop star. So it's a little bit the idea of you not that steamy. Also, it's like a teen thing, but like famous person, non-famous person, but it's set in the K-pop world. Oh, I love that. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was really, really sweet. Cute. So if you need a new book to read, should we tell them our book for yeah. April? So I am still, I have, I'm only a couple chapters into it, but our book pick is Delicious by Ruth Reichel. And I don't know if it still is, but a few people told me it was like $2 in the Kindle store. Oh, exciting. So go do that. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be such a fun one to discuss. The book is about a girl who moves from California to New York City. She drops out of college and she takes a job as an assistant at Delicious Magazine, which is, uh, you know, supposed to be... Gourmet, gourmet or, or bon, bon appetit. appetit and um she's the assistant to the editor-in-chief and so she gets sucked into this whole new food world and then it also has kind of a historical fiction plot line where while she's working there the magazine has an archival library and in there she finds all of these letters from a young girl who's you know like maybe 11, um, that were sent to James Beard, who was at one point the editor of this fictional magazine. Oh, I haven't uh, gotten there During yet. World War II. Cool. Cool. And so she finds, um, she like uncovers this correspondence. I love that. Um, the book is obviously a great food book. Ruth Reichel also wrote Save Me the Plums yeah. and Garlic and Sapphires, among other food memoirs. Yeah. Um, it's obviously a great food book, but it's also like a fun magazine book. It's a fun New York book. Like, ugh, I'm excited. I am going to read some more of that tonight. I'm so excited. I'm so glad. Yeah. In the meantime, join us in the Facebook group. Come hang out with us on Instagram. We're at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.